You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. I'm going to go ahead and invite you to uh, open up your Bibles to uh, Psalm 42. As you're turning there, um, one more thing to put before us this morning. So many of you have sat under, under the preaching of uh, John Schroeder, who's uh, planting the Well Church in Americus, Georgia, uh, fellow Acts 29 uh, pastor and church planter. Uh, this morning is their launch Sunday. So they actually... Uh, let's see, what time is it? 1027. Three minutes from now, they will be starting their very first inaugural uh, Sunday gathering. And so I've got a few pictures just to show you guys and want to pray for them and our time in the scriptures uh, in a together sort of way. So uh, they have acquired a space. Uh, show you a couple more pictures of their auditorium. Uh, this is the building that people will be gathering in. Uh, America's hyperchurched, undergospeled, uh, south. Georgia, deep parts of the, the Bible Belt, the American South, uh, a lot of religiosity, um, an absence of gospel centrality, in a sense. There are good churches there, but uh, there's a need for a greater gospel presence. And so uh, in this very space that you see up on the screen this morning, the gospel is going to be preached. I'm certain of that. And so I want to pray for the well, for John, his team, and and for our time uh, in the Psalms this morning, uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the beauty of the church. Without the shed blood of Jesus, uh, she would not exist. There would be no redeemed. There would be no gatherings like these, like the one that is about to take place uh, in Americas. And so... Uh, Thank you, Jesus, uh, for your redemptive work. Thank you for giving your life that we might come together as your people, as your children, Father, uh, because of Christ. I pray for the well. I pray that uh, the lost would be saved and your redeemed would be sanctified as a result of the gathering in that very room up on the screen behind me, Lord. Uh, I pray that uh, the number of chairs put out wouldn't be sufficient for the number of people who step into that building. And, and not so that uh, John and his team can beat their chests about things that we put on spreadsheets, but so that more people would hear about the beauty and hope of Jesus and the gospel so I pray that you would do great things, uh, Lord, as this church is officially launched this morning. Um, I pray that you would give John a feeling sense of the very things that he preaches. And I pray that you would do the same for me as we open up to Psalm 42 this morning in continuation of a series that has taken place over the course of now a couple summers as we continue to try to work our way through all 150 psalms, taking a handful at a time over the course of time until we complete the collection Thank you for this book of the Bible, this hymn book of the Old Testament, ultimately pointing us to the great hope we have in Jesus Christ. I pray that uh, we would see something of your goodness, your glory, and your grace this morning 
as we sit with Psalm 42 in front of us, that our seeing would fan into flame a deeper delight in you, knowing that the heart sings of that in which it delights. Pray that our lives would become more and more a song of God-glorifying, joy-maximizing praise as we continue week in and week out to sit with a steady diet of the Scriptures before us. And so uh, pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move in power as we sit with your inspired word before us. Uh, And I pray that it would ultimately be for your glory and our good and joy. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. So Psalm 42 is a a psalm of lament. Uh, It's a a lament simply defined as a a prayer in the midst of grief and loss that leads to trust, as we've talked about before. It's It's the prayer language of God's people as we journey through a broken world on our way to to glory. As I mentioned before, uh, it may surprise some to learn that, that there are actually more lament psalms than there are psalms of praise in this book of the Bible, making up roughly a third of the psalms, a declaration that suffering and sorrow are undeniably a part of the human experience. They're inescapable. Any church that would say otherwise is selling a false bill of goods. We all go through uh, seasons in which it seems as though, to quote Charles Spurgeon, all our birds are owls. Or ravens. In a lament, we encounter the psalmist pouring out his heart to God, his heartache, anger, fear, disappointment, grief, confusion, etc. God wants us to, to bring those things to him, to lay bare our sorrows, our frustrations, our questions. He's big enough to handle it. And not so that we might uh, remain forever in the the cul-de-sac of sorrow, so to speak, but that our honest expression might be a a, a conduit of sorts uh, to move us toward God's grace, leading us to deeper trust in him, leading us to deeper dependence upon him. Knowing that uh, no matter how things may look or, or how we may feel in our present situation, that God's character and promises, they're true. Psalm 42, an example of such a lament treated by uh, many scholars along with Psalm 43, which we've looked at in the past as one psalm, similar to uh, going back to last week, Psalms 1 and 2. Not only does Psalm 43 have no heading uh, separating it from Psalm 42, but 2, Psalm 43, shares the the repeated refrain of Psalm 42. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Derek Kidner, in his commentary, says, While each of this pair of psalms can be sung by itself, they are in fact two parts of a single close-knit poem, one of the most sadly beautiful in the Psalter. Sadly beautiful. Perhaps fewer expressions, more honest in capturing what it is to live east of Eden, so to speak. Perhaps we'll, we'll come back someday and uh, look at Psalms 42 and 43 together as the, the two-part close-knit poem that many scholars argue it together to be. And yet, having preached, as I mentioned just a moment ago, Psalm 43 a few years back, uh, I trust along with Kidner and many other scholars that Psalm 42 can be sung by itself. This particular psalm, uh, like many others, providing us with, with an introduction to the choir master, a maskal of the sons of Korah. A maskal being a, a skillful, artistically shaped psalm, likely referencing the matching of the words to a, a beautiful arrangement of music. 
which explains why this psalm is attributed to the, the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah being Levitical musicians who were uh, put in charge of temple worship. This sadly beautiful song begins, verse 1, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Psalm 42, as with many lament psalms, begins with a, a turning to the Lord which might sound incredibly basic, elementary, but I'd argue far easier said than done. We live in a world filled with numbing agents, a world in which it's easy to anesthetize. Oftentimes, good things distorted, good things made God things, good things made ultimate things, functional saviors that we turn to to deliver us from uh, the personal hells of grief and loss. Empty wells, the Bible describes them as. Right? Christian lament, it, it begins with a turning to, to God, choosing to run to him in the midst of suffering and sorrow. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Perhaps you've read these words before and, and, and gotten the imagery of something positive or, or beautiful and yet the reality of the, the context of this psalm is that here we have a man who hasn't lost belief in God, but it's clear that he's lost some level of communion with God. The experience of God's presence, right? the language and imagery of a, a panting deer giving expression to a soul-parched thirst for the Lord. Right? More, more than dependence upon the Lord for life, this is a thirst for the joy of being in God's presence. Very similar language you find in Psalm 84, verses 1 and 2. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Soul that longs and faints for the joy of being in God's presence. A soul that pants for the Lord. Many scholars understanding the the psalmist's longing here in Psalm 42 to be one for a literal homecoming to Jerusalem from exile, having been distanced from, from temple worship, longing to be with God's people in the place of God's dwelling. The psalmist crying out, verse 2, when shall I come and appear before God? This perhaps an, an overnight agony. It wasn't there yesterday, it's here today, like a forest fire that, that dries up the land. Joel chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts, here it is, the similar language, even the beasts of the field pant for you, because the water brooks are dried up, and fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness. What was one day a, a flourishing field, the next day a dry and barren land is surely the, the experience of, of some. Perhaps you've experienced that. I surely know I have. One day it seems as though things are flourishing in my relationship with the Lord. Even life circumstances are going seemingly well. The next day, completely different experience. Where are you, God? 
more likely the language and imagery of Psalm 42 describing something of a slow withering over time. Jeremiah 14 begins with these words, The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah concerning the drought. Judah mourns and her gates languish. Her people lament on the ground and the cry of Jerusalem goes up. Her nobles send their servants for water. They come to the cisterns. They find no water. They return with their vessels empty. They are ashamed and confounded and cover their heads. Because of the ground that is dismayed, since there is no rain on the land, the farmers are ashamed and they cover their heads. Even the doe, here it is, the similar imagery to Psalm 42. Even the doe in the field forsakes her newborn fawn because there is no grass. The wild donkeys stand on the bare heights. They pant for air like jackals. Their eyes fail because there is no vegetation. At times, what was one day a flourishing field, the next day a dry and barren land, other times a slow drought-like withering, leaving our souls parched, panting, thirsty. Again, the soul will pant for something when the circumstances of life have left it withered. The psalmist in his circumstances, not only distanced from the temple, but taunted for his faith in the Lord, verse 3. The psalmist's enemies taunting him, continually asking, where is your God? So it's a rhetorical question, meaning your God doesn't exist, and therefore he won't deliver you. He's not coming. That language and sentiment not only found throughout the book of, of Psalms, but throughout the scriptures. Where is your God? The steady taunting causing overwhelming sorrow for the psalmist as expressed through the hyperbole of tears as food. Day and night, never ceasing. Such language and imagery too, perhaps giving expression to an inability to, to eat or sleep. As is oftentimes the, the case when we go through those dark nights of the soul. He goes on in Psalm uh, 42 verse 4 to say, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Here the psalmist recalls past processions to the, the temple, perhaps even having led some of those processions himself to the God-glorifying celebrations at processions end, the, the joy of being in God's presence with God's people. Glad shouts, songs of praise, loud voices. The psalmist's thoughts returning to, to better days. Those thoughts leading to a little self-preaching, if you will. Verse five, he says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. These lyrics, verse 5, the major refrain of Psalms 42 and 43, expressed three times throughout the course of these two brief psalms. The chorus of the song, if you will. He keeps coming back to it between the verses. The psalmist's soul both cast down and in turmoil. The language of both depression and anxiety. All too real in our day and age for many of us. The scripture is unafraid to, to bring before us the, the unwell soul of one of God's redeemed. 
No sense of peace. No sense of joy. The psalmist refusing to to pretend as though things are fine when they're not. His soul unwell. And, And yet, rather than throwing his hands up, waving the white flag, he confronts his anxious, sorrowful soul with a question. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? I think Psalm 42 presents us all, myself included, with a question, which is how many of us are ignoring our unwell souls rather than confronting them? Choosing to live as though things are fine when they're really not. Throwing our our hands up in hopeless defeat when, as the song goes, sorrows like, like sea billows roll. Psalm 42 presents us with a man willing to stare himself in the mirror and confront his unwell soul. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? A question followed by a a word of proclamation. The psalmist grabbing himself by the collar, so to speak, and declaring to his unwell soul, hope in God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, in his spiritual depression, he says... Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man's treatment in this psalm was this, he says. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou thou cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, listen, self, for a moment. I will speak to you. What Lloyd-Jones described is what we, many of you know this, refer to around here as preaching the gospel to ourselves. Grabbing ourselves by the collar, so to speak. Day by day, hour by hour, moment by moment. And saying, listen, self. It's reminding ourselves, especially when the the darkness seems darkest, of who God is and what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do for us in Jesus Christ. It's exhorting our souls to hope in God in anticipation of the fulfillment of his promises. Even when it seems as though help is far off, when our, uh, our vision is blurred by our tears. In the words of one scholar, even a strong faith must at times be accompanied by hope, for faith must wait for God to act. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He goes on in verse 6. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. The psalmist already having described the tears of depression, verse 3. That was the first verse of this song before we got to the verse, first chorus. Now, the second verse describing the waves of anxiety. Distanced from Jerusalem in the far north of, of Israel, the psalmist is. In the, the mountainous region near the, the rising headwaters of the Jordan River. 
longing to return to the the temple, his trust and hope put to the test. The psalmist here returning to the, the language and imagery of water, not unlike the beginning of the psalm, and yet here the waters rage, the, the pummeling uh, waves of suffering and sorrow. Perhaps a symbolic picture of God's judgment. After all, the psalmist declares, it's your breakers, O Lord. It's your waterfalls, it's your waves that have gone over me. Like Jonah, who declared, For you cast me into the deep, O Lord, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And yet, as we talked about many times along the way, God's breakers and waves are not always a sign of his judgment. As we saw in Psalm 23 just a few weeks back, the valley of the shadow of death, just as much the, the path of the shepherd as the green pastures and still waters meaning that God doesn't lead us solely into the, the rolling hills of pleasant circumstance, but to, through valleys of shadowy darkness, the darkened valleys of, of evil and danger, unavoidable in this broken world in which you and I live. The places where, many of you know this, where God oftentimes draws us nearer to him. It's in the dark places that we can name that which is broken, Inviting God into our sorrow, into our pain. It's in the dark places that we can know his comfort, his care. It's in the dark places that we can model for others what a relationship with God truly is. In all of its heartache and its beauty. The Christian life, going back to the Kidner quote, it's sadly beautiful. Having preached hope to his downcast, anxious soul, the psalmist's soul still downcast and anxious. You notice that? A single preaching of hope to a downcast, anxious soul doesn't always pull a downcast, anxious soul completely up. Be it from the, uh, the depressive dust of uh, soul-parched drought or the anxiety-inducing breakers and waves, to use the imagery of this psalm. The psalmist leaving us to, to wonder, is, is doubt going to win? in the midst of his sorrows, in the midst of his troubles. And yet, even in the midst of the pummeling waves, I love this, verse 8. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Having declared his tears to be his food day and night, verse 3, here proclaiming amidst the tears of the day, the steadfast love of the Lord, amidst the tears of the night, a God-given reason to prayerfully sing. I'm reminded of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16 having been severely beaten and imprisoned around midnight singing and praying hymns to the Lord. Overwhelmed with the Lord's presence in the midst of suffering, evangelizing the other prisoners with their God-glorifying song. With his people, this God, day and night. And yet in the psalmist's day, still longing for Jerusalem, as he goes on to say, in verses 9 and 10, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Again, the psalmist in his circumstances, not only distanced from the temple, but taunted for his faith in the Lord. His enemy, enemies continually taunting him. Asking, where is your God? Again, a rhetorical question, meaning 
He doesn't exist. He's not there. He's not coming to deliver you, to rescue you. The language of wounds in his bones, verse 10, a declaration that his entire being is in anguish, crushed, body and spirit. His enemies loud. His God silent. A feeling sense that God has rejected him in the midst of his dark night of the soul. Lord, I know you're not cruel, but it feels like you are today. Anybody been there? And he knows that certain things are true about the Lord, declaring God his rock, verse 9, his strength, his security, his sure footing, his safety. Yet struggling to make sense of it all in the midst of present circumstance. So that he declares again, verse 11, the chorus coming back around a second time in this song. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, a single preaching of hope to a a downcast, anxious soul doesn't always pull a downcast, anxious soul completely up. Again, be it from the depressive dust of soul parched drought or the anxiety-inducing breakers and waves. And yet, rather than throwing his hands up, he yet again confronts his anxious, sorrowful soul with a question. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? A question again followed by a word of proclamation. The psalmist yet again grabbing himself by the collar, so to speak, exhorting his soul to hope in the God of his salvation. In anticipation of the fulfillment of God's promises, even when it seems as though help is far off. Psalms 42 and 43 both ending with no indication of any change of circumstance. Which perhaps in some sense gives us greater hope. Right? Both Psalms ending with words of trust in God and his promises despite the fact that nothing has gotten circumstantially better. In the words of one writer, outwardly nothing has changed, but the psalmist has won through. His lament, a a conduit, having led him to deeper trust and hope in God, to deeper dependence upon God. Which leads me to a question that I and and others who have preached throughout the course of this series have sought to, to answer with each of these psalms. Namely, how does this psalm point to Jesus? Psalm 42. Well, for one, Jesus is the living water for the thirsty soul. Verse 2. The living God to whom any one soul parched can come and drink. Jesus himself declaring, John 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus, the fount of every blessing, streams of mercy never ceasing. He who was taunted by his enemies, verses 3 and and 10, despised and mocked, scorned by the ones he came to save. He who cried out to the Father under the darkened skies of Jerusalem, not why have you forgotten me, verse 9, but why have you forsaken me? Cursed for our blessing, that is for those who trust in him for salvation, those who are united to him by faith. He who is with his people in the midst of every breaker and wave, verse 7, Sovereign over and present in every storm of life. 
the anchor in our hearts, the ballast for our souls. He in whom every promise, consider this, that we might preach to our unwell souls, finds its fulfillment. 2 Corinthians 1.20, the Apostle Paul so wondrously declared, for all of the promises, not some of them, all of them, the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus Christ. Psalm 42, it, it invites us to wrestle with the question, where does my soul need confronting this morning? In what way or ways is it unwell with my soul? Two, exhorting us to grab ourselves by the collar, so to speak, and preach the gospel to ourselves. Reminding ourselves, especially when the, the darkness seems darkest, of who God is and what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do for us in Jesus Christ. And not only reminding ourselves, but reminding each other as we don't stand like the psalmist at a distance from the assembly. We're here right now, the Lord's Day gathering of his people. We have the blessing of drawing near to a body of believers, verse 4. The blessing of fighting alongside and for one another on this road to glory. Until the day that our longing, like the psalmist, to be in the place of God's presence is fully finally and gloriously fulfilled in Jesus Christ. In the words of one writer, and I'll close with this, worship together is a place of memory. Together we call to mind what it is so easy to forget alone, that God is good and that his steadfast love endures forever for those who trust in him. In a moment we have an opportunity to, to sing to sing the words of Psalm 42. In preparation for the, the collective corporate song of the church, we'll give a couple minutes before we jump into this next song just to sit and confront our souls, to ask the hard question, where is it unwell with my soul this morning? If the Lord hasn't already revealed that, to ask him by his spirit to make that clear. And then to grab ourselves by the collar, so to speak, and declare to ourselves, God is good. His steadfast love does endure forever for those who trust in him. He is our hope, even when help seems far off. Perhaps even across this auditorium and to go to someone else that we know is struggling this morning, is hurting, that we know that their soul is unwell, and to say, I love you, I'm for you. And if you can't preach the gospel to yourself because you're laid so low, let me remind you of who this God is and what he has done, is doing, and will do for you in Jesus Christ. We're not isolated to the, the northern region, so to speak. We're here together. We also have an opportunity to receive of the Lord's Supper. If you're not a Christian, I would encourage you not to partake of the bread and the cup, but that your next step would be one of repentance and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are a Christian, as many of you know, we take the bread representing the broken body of Jesus. We dip it in the cup representing his shed blood. Communion stations are on either side of the stage. There's a gluten-free table in the back corner there. As you prepare to receive of those elements, I just encourage you to Sit with verse 9 and be reminded, again, that Jesus cried out not to the Father, why have you forgotten me, but why have you forsaken me? 
cursed for our blessing, Jesus was under the darkened skies of Jerusalem. Sit with that as you receive of, of the bread and the cup this morning and be encouraged. Be encouraged and reminded that every promise of God finds its yes in this Jesus who shed his blood for us. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.